This episode is sponsored by 5.11, a company that I've used for well over a decade and continue to use to this day. And 5.11 is offering you guys, the audience of the Behind the Shield podcast, a discount on every purchase you make with them. Before we get to that code, I want to highlight a couple of products that, again, I personally use today. One of the most impressive products they just released is their Rush Backpack 2.0. Now, for many of you, whether you're going to the fire station, the police station, whether you're traveling with your family, whether you're taking training courses, we have to fly, we have to drive, we have to take trains. And I have to say, I own multiple backpacks, many of uh, 5.11's different ones, but as far as a day pack, this one was the most impressive. There are so many different compartments. The way it sits on your back is incredibly comfortable. If you are a concealed carry person, there's also a spot for a weapon. So they've thought of multiple, multiple things that a man or woman would have to do on a daily basis. That is in addition to all of the products that I talk about a lot. Their uniforms fit for men or fit for women in the first responder professions. The footwear that they offer, whether it's the Norris sneaker or the Atlas system that is designed for foot health and therefore knees and back and hips and shoulders and neck. As a civilian, I live in a lot of their clothes as well. Their jeans stretch. You can actually squat down in them. We live in Florida here, so I wear a lot of their shorts, which again, very, very lightweight material. You can get it wet and it will dry almost immediately. And then moving to the fitness and tactical space, I used to have just a regular weight vest. Recently, I switched to a 511 vest and actually bought ballistic plates as well. My thinking was simply, if I'm going to have a vest, why not have one that protects me as well? And that TAC vest is trusted by law enforcement all around the country. So I mentioned they were going to offer you a discount code. So if you go to 511tactical.com and enter the code SHIELD15, S-H-I-E-L-D-1-5, you'll get 15% off not just that one purchase, but every time you visit their store. And if you want to learn more about 5.11, their mission, their products, then listen to episode 338 of the Behind the Shield podcast with the CEO and founder, Francisco Morales. This episode is brought to you by Thorne, the industry leader in nutritional solutions. Now, Thorne is actually trusted by eight U.S. national teams and championship teams in the NFL, NBA, and Major League, as well as recently becoming the official sports performance nutrition partner of the UFC. So when it comes to supplements, the tactical athlete space and the athletic space need two things. We need efficacy, meaning the Products do what they say they're going to do on the label, and then we need to trust the fact that we are not going to fail either athletic drug tests or work-related drug tests. Now, Thorne has actually been around since the 1980s, where they were used by physicians and hospitals for nutritional supplements for the patients. They were so successful that athletic teams and even special operations teams reached out to them and they started supplying them as well. Very recently, they actually opened their doors to the general public. Now, what sets Thorne apart is they manufacture their own products in a state-of-the-art NSF-certified facility in South Carolina. They use only the purest possible ingredients formulated with no stearates or arbitrary fillers in the cleanest manufacturing process. Most of you listening come from a profession where it can take its toll physically and mentally, and many of us are not able to bolster our nutrition purely with the food that we eat. And that's where supplementation comes in. So if you're ready to maximize your health and performance, visit thorn.com, T-H-O-R-N-E.com. Take a short product quiz to be paired up with the perfect health and fitness supplements. And for you, the audience, if you use the code BTS10, behind the shield 10, BTS10, you will get 10% off your first order. And if you want to learn even more about Thorn, go to episode 323 of Behind the Shield podcast and you will hear my interview with Wes Barnett and Joel Totoro from Thorn. Welcome to the Behind the Shield podcast. As always, my name is James Gearing and this week it is my absolute honor to welcome on the show James Norris. Now, James was born prematurely, but it was actually a mismanagement of his airway during a surgical procedure as a toddler that led to the brain damage that caused his cerebral palsy. So we discuss a host of topics, from dealing with his disability as a child, weight gain, his first gym experience, the trainer that revolutionized the way he looked at his own physicality, the adaptive community, handicapable fitness, and so much more. Now, before we get to this incredible conversation, as I say every week, please just take a moment and go to whichever app you listen to this on, subscribe to the show, 
leave feedback and leave a rating. Every single five-star rating truly does elevate this podcast, therefore making it easier for others to find. And this is a free library of almost 700 episodes now. So all I ask in return is that you help share these incredible men and women stories so I can get them to every single person on planet Earth who needs to hear them. So with that being said, I introduce to you James Norris. Enjoy. Well, James, I want to start by saying thank you so much for taking the time on this fine autumn afternoon and coming on the Behind the Shield podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. I really do appreciate it. Um, I, I love what you guys do. I listen to a lot of the episodes and I commend you with the work that you do and the stories that you allow people to tell and, and just your overall mission. So it's an honor to be on the show. Beautiful. Well, for people listening, where are we finding you on planet Earth today? I am in Boston, Massachusetts. So um, we are on we are on the East Coast in the United States, and it you hit the nail on the head when when you said beautiful autumn day. It's about sixty five degrees. the The leaves are changing, got all the pretty colors out there. But thankfully, the snow is not falling from the sky yet. That's going to be in a couple of weeks, and I, and I I dread it. I think it might be colder in Florida today. We uh, I think really? it was like 46 last night, and I don't think it's got up to mid-60s yet. So, yeah, that might be a kind of anomaly. And you're not wearing a parka. What's going on? Well, I've got British blood, so there we go. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, I would love to start at the very beginning of your chronological story. So talk to me about where you were born and tell me a little bit about your family dynamic, what your parents did and how many siblings. Okay, so perfect. Um I was born in Riverside, California. Uh, my my dad was in the Marine Corps. Um, that's how him and my mom met. And then he opened up his own contracting business with with my uncle. So stayed out in California. Uh, fast forward, they ha- they had me, like I said, in Riverside, California. Um, and I was born premature, two pounds, two ounces. So the first couple of months of my life, I had to stay in the hospital. Uh, but other than that, there was no birth defects, nothing, nothing to really speak of. Um, and then when I was about two and a half, my parents realized that I, or let me backtrack, one and a half, I went in for a hernia operation. Um, the operation went fine. They bundled me up, sent me home. Then around two and a half, my parents realized that I wasn't hitting certain milestones. And by this time, we had moved to Boston. Um, when we had moved to Boston, they called Children's because they're like, he's not rolling over. He's not doing the things that your typical one and a half would do. And shortly thereafter, they brought me in and they diagnosed me with cerebral palsy. Um, now I have, I was an only child for eight years. Then I have a, a brother and or two brothers and one sister after that all younger than me obviously um and we we're currently living in boston like i had said um grew up you know pretty 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 normal you know i think um my parents never really never really babied me and oh he has cerebral palsy no in fact i think they they were a little bit harder on me because they never wanted me to use that as a crutch, so to speak. Um, so if I got a bad grade in school, which didn't happen very often uh, because of this particular reason, I would have to not only answer to my parents, but I would have to answer to you know, my grandparents and my uncles in California and aunts. And, and I, I just didn't want any part of it. So I, the quickest way I, I knew how to not have that happen was to get good grades in school. Um, but growing up, you know, being in, being from Boston, it's kind of, or I consider myself from Boston, but living in Boston, um, it's kind of ingrained in your blood that you like sports. So I was no different. So I always grew up watching sports and and I played, you know, wheelchair basketball and wheelchair T-ball t- and that sort of thing. Um, and, you know, it was just a really average, average 
life, you know, nothing, nothing really stood out. I mean, I had my challenges that we can delve deeper into if you, if you want, but I'll let you take it from here and let you jump in if you have any other questions that you want me to hit upon. So when your parents look back, they identified a reason why you may have had the cerebral palsy, the kind of a deficit to the brain. Yes. So, so actually, excuse me for not elaborating on that earlier. Um, when I went in for the hernia operation, the mask came off my face and my brain was without air for five and a half minutes. So that's what I alluded to. You know, they never said anything to my parents. They just bundled me up and sent me home. Um, and then, but as I alluded to before, they said, you know, oh, wow, he's not hitting certain milestones. Well, I wasn't hitting certain milestones because my brain was without air for five and a half minutes and caused the brain damage. So in the the kind of adaptive community, obviously, there's, there's a lot of uh, athletes out there with cerebral palsy. I've had some on the show. What are some of the common denominators that are happening to these men and women when they were children that's creating the syndrome that we know as cerebral palsy? Oftentimes, it's it's created it's created at birth, um, or it it happens during birth. So coming through the birth canal, you know, um, the your they get stuck in there, and you know their their brains are without air or oxygen. The umbilical cord gets wrapped around the neck, cutting off oxygen. But like I said, in my case, you know, I, I was born premature, but it didn't. My cerebral palsy incident didn't happen until afterwards when i went in for that hernia operation um but most times it is caused at birth either through coming through the birth canal or getting the getting the umbilical cord wrapped around the neck and cutting off oxygen yeah because i think there's a misunderstanding and i'm definitely guilty of it myself you kind of roll cp in with all these other different you know um developmental disorders or diseases that, that we know of but you know it's a brain injury ultimately that creates this condition isn't it Exactly. Exactly. You know, I mean, because I, I even get oftentimes like, oh, my gosh, are you, are you eventually going to pass away because of cerebral palsy? And I'm like, no, it's 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 not like that. It's not like something like an MS that, you know, the muscles are attacking the nervous system and and that whole that whole thing or Parkinson's, you know, um, where over time things slowly start to get worse. Now, what I will say is it kind of goes back to that old saying, but it can really apply to anybody. If you don't use it, you lose it, right? So, so if I don't do my exercises and, and do my stretching the way that I should, my muscles are going to get tighter. They're not going to, it's not going to kill me, but it is going to, you know, inhibit my way of, my way of life because I'm not going to have the flexibility. It's going to be harder to walk even with walkers and braces and leaning on things. So, but that goes really with anybody, right? I mean, if we don't exercise and we don't move and we just sit on the couch eating snacks all day, we're going to gain weight, which leads to, you know, other health issues. So it's very much one and the same, I think. So with the, the brain injury, talk to me about what effect that has on someone like yourself, on the actual the, the human body and the mobility element of that. Well, for, well, for me, it, and it varies from person to person, and it, it varies, you know, um, there's some people that are very slightly affected and they, they just might walk with a limp or have a little bit of a speech impediment. And then there's somebody like me who it's affected my left side predominantly and my legs. So um, my my left side, my arm, I have very limited motion. Um, and then as far as my legs go, I do need braces to to walk. And then I use a walker or crutch or or a hemi walker, so, some some mobility device. But then there's other people that are um, confined to a wheelchair most of the time and and they need they need around the clock care you know so so they have problems feeding themselves you know getting themselves in and out of the shower in and out of bed for me um i'm very very fortunate and blessed that that isn't my case my case is very middle of the road it's not the best to where you know i'm walking you know with a little bit of a limp and then that's basically it, but I can, but I can walk, um, or, but I'm also not at the other end of the spectrum where, you know, 
I need that around the clock care as well. Yeah. Because the two people I think, obviously, um, Steph Hammerman was on the show and she, you know, it seems like you, know, you guys have a similar level of, of, of what you're able to do in the gym. And then another oh, I one. I don't know. Steph is, Steph <laughs> is absolute beast. She is a beast. I, it's, it's an honor to be clumped in the same sentence with her. Yeah. And then the other one that, that rings a bell or comes to mind is, uh, I don't know if his name's Miles or not, but I know him as Smiles Taylor on Instagram and, you know, his, his deadlifting, his, his powerlifting. He's, he's, he's an absolute animal as well. So to, to be clustered, like I said, with those two people, that really, that really means a lot. And it's an honor because they've done a lot for, you know, the handicapable community and help educating, you know, the people, people that, you know, just aren't aware of, of what cerebral palsy is for one. And, and frankly, what people with disabilities can actually do. So it's an honor to be in that, in that same conversation with those people. Well, I want to get into the kind of um, evolution of the adaptive community because I've watched it just in my short time. I, I've been in the CrossFit community for about 16 years now and just in that very short time, seeing it kind of flourish. But before we do, I think an important thing to, to kind of underline as well, talk to me about all the surgeries that you've had to, to have because of this condition to increase your mobility. Okay, so I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to list them off here in order, but I don't know how well we'll do. Um, so I had a rhizotomy. So when I was born, I could not put my feet flat on the floor. All I could do was walk on my tippy toes. Um, so what they did, and I, I don't want to, don't take this for, you know, absolute, like me saying this is what happened, but I want to say I'm like one of the first in the world or the country to have this particular surgery done at the time. So it was called a rhizotomy. What they did was they opened up my back, basically from the top of my back all the way down to my tailbone. And they cut the they cut the nerves all the way down to allow my foot to go flat on the floor. Um and and it was a success, but it was also a very scary decision for my parents to have to make at the time and all that, but thankfully they did. And thankfully it, it worked out pretty well. Um, then I went in and I had, um, my heel cord lengthened. So basically the best way I can describe it is somebody with cerebral palsy, um, their muscles, your muscles are kind of like a rubber band. Yours are, are stretched out. Like you're putting, you're putting tension on them. Somebody, somebody with cerebral palsy, their muscles are, you know, kind of bunched up almost into a ball. So it's really hard to get them to stretch out. So the heel cords, which are at the back of your feet, um, were, were kind of bunched up. And I, again, couldn't put my feet really flat on the floor or put my foot in a normal walking position. So they went in and they lengthened those. Um, then at the same time, or this next surgery, they did two surgeries in one, and I had my hamstrings lengthened, basically for the same reason that I gave for the heel cords. Um, and then I had my hips done as well. So they did those two surgeries at once. And it was, it was pretty brutal. That happened when I was probably uh, 15, 16, some, somewhere in, in there. So that whole summer... It stunk because, you know, I had literal casts from from my hips down to like the tips of my toes. And every half hour I had to roll over because similar with somebody with a spinal cord injury, you know, or, or something like that. If you don't move and you're in the same position, you run the risk of getting bed sores. Um, and then if you get bed sores, can lead to infections and, you know, can go down a whole rabbit hole of things. So I had to roll over like a rotisserie chicken every every half hour, you know, to to, to really prevent that. And um, it, was, it was very, very painful. But thankfully, um, as I got into my early 20s, now mid 30s, I haven't had surgery in quite a bit. Thank God. Knock on wood, too. Uh, Hopefully that doesn't happen, but if there's something out there that, that can benefit me and, and allow me to do more things and have a better quality of life and more things in the gym, I'm always down to give it a shot and see, see what can happen. 
Well, thank you for kind of, you know, painting that picture as well. Because one thing as a paramedic that, you know, resonates with me is someone was in charge of making sure that you had an airway when you were going through that particular procedure. And that person not owning their position and not being professional caused, you know, decades of, of this trauma for you now. And of course, you, you've made this life incredible. You know, everyone deals with, with whatever they've been thrown at them. But the preventative element, the takeaway for anyone in the medical profession is the impact that five minutes of, you know, deviation from what you should be focused on can have this, you know, decades long effect on one single patient. Exactly. And, and you know what, like, to be honest with you, um, to, and I agree with everything that you said, but I'll also add that it's not just, it's not just one, it's not just the patient, the person directly affected, right? This, this is, bled over into into the into the family as well you know um and my parents were my parents were great parents i've had a great family support system around me you know but they they had me when they were in their late teens early 20s and there's no handbook to having a, a child at that point anyway or really at any time in life but then you throw special needs on top of that you know, they really had to figure things out in, in a huge way. And it, it, I don't want to say it burdened them because I don't think it burdened them, but it gave them a whole new different set of obstacles that they had to navigate. And, you know, through God and through faith, they were able to do that. Um, but yes, it, it, it really trickles down to so many other people. Absolutely. Well, you mentioned about your parents creating that environment where they didn't feed into the the concept of disability, and they you know they they gave you the the courage to raise up and and like you said, become a good student, become as you know as good an athlete as you could, circumnavigating some of the physical challenges that you've been given. I literally yesterday my son made the varsity cross-country team at 15 so it really resonates with me that in 15 you were in a cast being turned over like a rotisserie chicken my son you know and i try and instill gratitude in him is able to stand and run you know without any surgery so that i think is is a reminder for a lot of people if you are able-bodied then remind yourself how lucky you are as well but i i really I'm very deliberate in having gratitude for the mentors outside my household. And I think that's how you change the world. It really is. And in the website, you talk about Mrs. Thur. So talk to me about the impact that she had on kind of your journey, especially as you progress through graduation. Okay, so perfect. So um, she was she was a teacher that I had through, you know, through high school. I forget what year, year it was, um, but I know I had her in senior, but... May, may have may have crossed paths junior year or what whatever uh but one common thing because i was i was very shy growing up through school you know with as good as a job my parents did you know saying james cerebral palsy isn't you you know all of these things and trying to get me involved in sports and different activities i myself was very shy if you came up and talked to me i would talk to you back but I would never be the one to engage in the conversation. But the one uh, thing that had a common thread for Miss Thur and I was our love for sports. So every day I'd go go into class and be like, Miss Thur, did you see the Celtics last night? Yeah, they they won or they or they stunk. Did you see how about the Red Sox? Did you did you see that? Yeah, they broke our hearts again and won't win till 2004. Um, you know, all, all these, all these different things. And then she got me involved with, uh, the, the girls basketball team. She's like, you know what? I know the coach. Why don't you go and be the manager? Get, get yourself to be a little bit more social, meet people. You're, you're around sports. And I said, yeah, you know, I, I don't, I don't know. She's like, no, I think it's a really good idea. So I ended up doing it. And so senior year rolls around and she says, well, who are you going the prom with? I said, Miss there, I'm not going the prom. I said, that's not happening. You know, I said, and she goes, why? And I said, because I have sports to watch. I'm not, I'm not going the prom. She's like, you're going. And we went back and forth. We, we bickered like an old married couple. It seemed like, and then come to, uh, you know, come to find out we, I ended up going and, to that point 
to that point, it was one of the best things I've ever done. And it was the first time that I ever broke out of my shell and, and did something out of the norm. You know, it, it, it took a lot for me to, to, you know, put the tux on and, and, you know, all of the things that goes along with it, then, then go out and socialize. But she played a major part in that. And I still talk to her to this day. With that being said, I had a, a, a young woman on Emma Benoit, and she was, I think, 17. Very, very pretty girl. She's a cheerleader, you know, just what you would think as a popular girl if you were on the outside looking in. Yep. And inside, she was struggling to the point where she actually completed suicide to the point, but she survived. So she she shot herself and, and, and recovered um, somewhat. She's in a wheelchair as well, um, and also kind of trying to trying to get her body to relearn to walk. Um, but now Emma is, is an ambassador for mental health. So a lot of, you know, boys and girls in school are already challenged just with some of these stresses. You got social media. Now you add in, um, you know, some sort of, uh, adaptive element like CP. I can imagine there's another layer to that. So did you, when you look back now, did you have any kind of mental health challenges as you were navigating your high school experience? Um, you know what, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily categorize it as, as, you know, depression or anxiety, or may, maybe, maybe there, maybe there was some there. Um, you know, it's just, we didn't know how to categorize it at the time. But I, the one thing I will say was during the pandemic, when we, when we were in lockdown and really couldn't do anything, I started to really do some inner work on myself. And one of the things I realized was that all this time, I I always thought like, okay, well, that person's not talking to me because of my cerebral palsy, like, or this, that, or the other thing. Everything, everything came down to having cerebral palsy. But what I realized was that that's how I saw myself. I saw, saw James as having cerebral palsy, and then I saw James you know, James, the person. Um, but I identified having cerebral palsy first and foremost. That's, that's the biggest thing about me that I pulled. And what I, what I learned from that was people react to the energy that you put off. So if I'm, so if I'm closed off and, you know, I only talk to you, you know, when we're in line getting coffee or you say hi to me and I say hi back and that's the end of our conversation, that's all you're going to get. But if I, if I come up to you and I'm like, Hey, how's it going? How, how's your day? You know, what are you working on today in the gym or what do you have going on for the holidays? And I engage in conversation or maybe make a joke, then it breaks the ice for those people to be like, Oh, this is just a normal guy, just like me or just like all my other friends. And it puts them at ease because they often have questions, but they don't know how to ask the questions. So, so they just avoid the topic altogether. But when you give them a safe space to, to really just show that, Hey, this is a normal person doing everyday normal activities at a Celtics game, you know, at the gym, whatever it is, then it allows them to be like, Hey, you know, I see you use this wheelchair. Why is that that you use a wheelchair? And then you you get to go down that path and you get to share your story. And the one common thread that we have, whether we are black, white, gay, straight, male, female, whatever it is, right, is that we're all human and we've all struggled with something in life. So even though I don't know what it's like to overcome something that you struggled with, I can go back in the encyclopedia of my mind and be like, oh, well, I remember what it was like to overcome that. Um, so even though it's not the same, it's still something very similar. So I can relate to that person on that level, so to speak. Yeah, well, I can relate completely with my high school experience as well. I didn't have cerebral palsy, but I was tiny for my age. I had like a blonde afro, buck teeth and skin as dry as a lizard and I was self-conscious like crazy so I'm sure if I went back to my whole high school experience was probably a little bit further you know longer ago than yours um you would see that same kind of um 
you know, low self-esteem. So regardless if you're in a wheelchair, if and you know, even with Emma, I mean, on paper she she had nothing to feel self-conscious about, and and her big thing partly was, I'm about to graduate and I have no idea what I'm going to do. That terrifies me. That was mm-hmm. a big thing, and then there was some bullying, some other things as well. So you yeah, know, and and the other thing too is, you know, growing up, I mean, when we were kids, you know there was no such thing as social media or social media was just coming out. Right. So, so these kids right now, it's constant. You know, if, if somebody, if somebody's making fun of you because of your cerebral palsy or if somebody's making fun of you because of your blonde Afro, whatever it is, right. That, that would stop at two 15 when the day was over. Now it's a constant it's a constant battle that these these kids are facing and they they just can't get away from it. And I mean, back in the day, I don't I don't, you know, recommend violence at all. But back in the day, most times, if you had a problem with somebody, you'd say, OK, meet me at the flagpole at 215. You'd punch each other a couple of times. And then the next day, you'd be the best of friends and you'd be hanging out playing playing football together, you know. Now, you know, there's so many different other I- issues and, and things that these kids have to navigate that they just don't know how to how to compartmentalize it because, like, they're growing. Their brains are growing. So, so for them to have, you know, all these things thrown at them, plus trying to grow and live life, I mean it's a lot for them to to deal with. Absolutely. Well, with the physicality and the sports side, I know that you got into the world of broadcasting for a while and you found yourself deconditioned. So walk me through your journey into LA Fitness and ultimately how that led to Ken. Okay, so so uh, this, this was actually a really good story. Um, like, I, like I alluded to earlier, I, I've always wanted to um, do something in sports and I knew I couldn't play. So the next best thing for me to do was to go to broadcasting school and try to get in, get in radio. I'm like, listen, I talk about sports every day and might as well get paid to, to, to do it. So I went to broadcasting school, um, graduated from that and was able to work in, in Boston radio for six years. It wasn't, it wasn't, uh, sports radio, but it was an alternative rock station, a country station, hip hop. So, so was able to do some production. Then I had the opportunity to go to California to work for a production company. Um, and I'm thinking to myself, well, this, this is going to be the next step in my radio career. I don't know who I'm going to bump elbows with. Like, okay, let's take this leap of faith. So uprooted, moved to California. Um, and, I take a paratransit system. So there, it's a van that comes to my house. They pick me up and then they drop me off and vice versa. Well, back, back in, back then they, California didn't have that, a ride service like that. Now every state in the U S has to have some form of a paratransit system. Um, so I went from living this active lifestyle. And when I say living an active lifestyle, I don't mean, you know, weights and fitness, because I knew nothing about that. But I was going to sporting events, going to concerts, interacting with fans. Now, all of a sudden, you fast forward, you put me in California. I'm not doing that. And there's no real public transit system out there because everything is so spread apart. So I fell into a depression, gained a bunch of weight, just not really eating healthy. I just was unhappy with who with who I was. And then I waited out the year lease on the house in California and I um, came back and I said, I, I get around, I crawl around on my knees and I was, I was lucky enough to get my old job back at the radio station here in Boston. And I came back from work one day and I was crawling up the stairs and I was sweating. Like I ran the Boston marathon. And at this point I was 20 something and I'm like, I have to do something. So I knew that there was an LA fitness right around the corner from my house. Um, I would go on YouTube and I would just look up workouts and then I'd do my best to emulate them. 
uh, finally a trainer saw me. He's like, man, you're in here every day. He's like, let me design a program around you, your challenges, your goals, see what we can do. One thing led to another. And I was just taking video to show my friends and family because everything I was doing was new. Um, and I ended up losing about 65 pounds. And when I was taking the video, I would just post them to my own social media pages. And he goes, well, if you're going to do this, he goes, you might as well start a public account and you never know who you can inspire. So that's how Handicapable Fitness, the social media pages came to be. And then shortly after starting that, um, I was like, listen, nobody wants to sit here and watch me do bicep curls every day. Um, so there, if I'm doing this, there has to be other handy, capable people and athletes that are doing something similar. So then that's when I started to highlight other individuals because the goal of the social media pages is to see yourself represented. So if you're an amputee, if you have a spinal cord injury, spina bifida, you know, whatever the case may be, I want you to be like, man, that guy has a spinal cord injury and he's over here and he's doing a Spartan race, let me go and see if I can do a Spartan race. Then next thing you know, that uncovers a passion for that person. Uh, so that's kind of how all that came to be and how Handicapable Fitness was born. Beautiful. Well, what about um, Mike Boyle's gym and, and Ken? What what kind of, what was the difference between your initial LA fitness experience and the introduction back into fitness and, and you know, the, the level of training and goals that you were setting with Ken? Okay. So, so first and foremost, you know, that trainer that I had at LA fitness was great. Still talking to this day. I owe him a lot. Uh, Mike Boyles is a little bit different because at LA fitness, it was more of a bodybuilding style, like workout type of thing. Mike Boyle, if you don't know who he is, he's a world-renowned strength coach. Um, he used to be the head strength condition coach for both the Bruins and the Red Sox here in Boston. Uh, he's written several books, and he has his own facility. Um, so when when I went to um, when I went to go work with them, actually, my old boss was like James. I've been seeing the progress you've made at LA Fitness. He goes, I I go to Mike Boyles, um, you know, you should, you should come. And I'm like, man, I'm not a professional athlete and I don't have the money to, to work out there. He's like, just come with me. So he actually had talked to Ken who had turned out to be my trainer. And, um, and they, they, they said that he goes, he goes, listen, he goes, um, I don't really know much about CP, but let's give this a shot. And we started to work on my legs and, and different building up my core. And they are the people that got me up and walking for the first time. Um, so I give them a lot of credit. I ended up walking around a track. Now, people listening, obviously, we're talking about cerebral palsy specifically, but there's a lot of people listening that may have had knee surgery, that may have never really found the world of exercise. Um, what training philosophies, motivation, you know, exercise choices, what were, what were the things that were different this time around that you hadn't come across in all the years prior? Um, well, you know, LA Fitness, it was more focusing on my upper body and and really just kind of in a good way. Like if I always and you hear about it all the time, if you're not if you're not sore, you didn't you didn't work out hard enough. That's simply not the case. It's all about it's all about, you know, working the cardiovascular system and, and you know, really getting that that in tune and, you know, getting your mobility because you know, yeah, it's good to have, it's good to look great without a shirt off, you know, and that's awesome. But you also want to be more functional too. You want to be able to pick up your kids, you know, pick up a laundry basket, all these different things, empty the dishwasher. But for me, we really, we really, it was more of like a physical therapy type of thing. We started to do split squats, uh, RFEs, you know, um, 
glute bridges, everything to build up the lower body that would allow myself to walk. Uh, so that that was a little bit different. The LA Fitness was more for the upper body. The Mike Glow Strength Conditioning was more for the lower body. As I mentioned, I was in CrossFit. I started around 06, 07. I forget exactly you know, which year it was, but it's been interesting now because you're talking basically 25 years. Oh, excuse me, 15 years. I watched the adaptive immunity, uh, community grow and grow and the innovation that came in. And it sounds to me that, you know, at Mike Boyle's, excuse me, at LA Fitness, there was a subconscious writing off of the parts of your body that didn't work. What I've seen in the adaptive community is a strengthening of, you know, the weaker side, but obviously also using, you know, the, the stronger part, whether it's upper body, lower body. And then figuring out, okay, so this left arm doesn't work as well. How can I use a band so then I can take, you know, the strength of my stronger arm and then balance it with the weakness of my weaker arm to make both sides of the body work together? Absolutely. And I think that's, in fact, that's one of the things that we did. You know, when, when when you're training and you're, let's say you have an injury, you you probably know this as a paramedic and and i'm sure your audience know um but oftentimes when when you have an injury whether it's a pulled muscle or whatever the pain that you feel isn't necessarily coming from coming from that area so so if your back hurts chances are you know it's your it's your glutes that that are that are weaker you know it's your it's your legs that are weaker you know, you, you work, you work on, you work on your shoulders, right? Because everything, everything runs in a, in a chain. So that's what they did. That's what they did with me was they trained around all these different, all these different things built up their glutes to really, because when you stand up, you flex your glutes, which allows you to push your knees further back, you know, uh, building building up the quads. So, so again, it's when you stand up, you're pushing everything back and you know you're you're using that so it was a very fascinating thing to learn because it was like well i remember in fact going in there and i the first couple workouts i wasn't like sweating you know and i'm thinking to myself like dude i don't even have to shower like i didn't even do anything i'm like this is this is this is you know nothing what is what's going on here but you know i i talked to them and they're like james just just relax. And this is, this is what we're doing. And I think that's, that's the beauty of it. Like we didn't know if, cause like I said, they're used to training professional athletes and they work a lot with the gen pop, but they don't work with somebody that has cerebral palsy. So, so Ken and I, he was like, I don't know if this is going to work, but let's throw it against the wall and see if it sticks. And you know, there were some things that we tried and we're like, okay, this is awesome. And then we're like, okay, this isn't awesome. Let's, let's go to the next thing. Yeah, absolutely. I've seen it even with the, like the wheelchair game. So we had a, a wheelchair athlete, Charlotte, who she was in, I think the top five, top eight of the wheel world games. Um, yep. And training, I wasn't her main trainer by any means, but I would, you know, help her out sometimes. But some of the movements you go okay that's that's absolutely amazing you know and we would do like an adaptive rope climb where I actually came up with this idea you f- you throw a rope over a couple of the bars on the pull up rig and so they do a legless rope climb but you're feeding them the whole time so they never leave the ground more than about 4 inches so if they do happen that's to slip cool. you know what i mean so okay that way that works well but then you look at some of the the wheelchair cleans and you're like oh no that that doesn't uh. that doesn't look very good for you so like you said there's a constant learning so that you can because it is a new kind of philosophy for a lot of us a lot of a lot of crossfit coaches that don't come from an adaptive training background to to go okay this works this doesn't work so that we don't make that person you know worse it, than when we found well, them. It, exactly and it's very refreshing that you that you said that because um you know i know a lot of people that do crossfit and crossfit has done so much for the adaptive and handicapped communities and i'm forever grateful for it um but some of it i look at it and i'm like why would you why would you have somebody with a spinal cord injury do that whatever movement because they have no feeling and then when they go to like do a deadlift right 
you know, you're supposed to fire your glutes and, and all that and use your back. But this is all back and they can't really feel if there's any sort of pain there. So, yes. And again, it's and they've made tons of great improvements, which I'm so thankful for. And it's really opened up an athletic arena for so many people. Um, but I think sometimes in the world of Instagram, we just want that sexy video that is going to get a lot of views, which is great. But you're like, why, what, what's, what's the purpose? Like, what are people gaining from doing this movement that's going to extend their life rather than hurt their life to where they might not be able to push their wheelchair, you know, in a couple of years because they, they did this movement over so, over so much time. Absolutely. And that goes back to early CrossFit too. I mean, there were great people behind the, the, the genesis of CrossFit and they were gymnastic coaches and Olympic lifting coaches and, you know, all these people that knew the movements, but a lot of us learning from the website and a few YouTube videos were making mistakes. And exactly. then we, we become coaches and we make mistakes and we evolve and we go, okay. And now I think that that community is, is, is well versed in most of the gyms, but it's taken, you know, 20 year, kind of longitudinal learning um, journey for most of us to really start to understand, okay, now, now I think I'm ready. 20 years later, I think I'm ready to start coaching properly. And, hey, that, that's okay. You, if, if you, if, and I'm not just talking about you, but if you ever feel like you're the smartest guy in the room, that's when you know that you have a big issue. I don't care whether you're Mike Boyle, Dorian Yates, like whoever, like we all have something to learn. Um, and the and a good coach never wants to stop learning, and they're they're okay with saying, okay, I taught I taught X this way, um, but in all actuality, this is how it should be taught. So I don't want to teach it that way anymore. They're okay admitting their mistakes. Absolutely, I think I like that phrase. You know, we did the best of you know with what we had at the time, but that changes and knowledge is power. So as you evolve, exactly. you have to have the humility to go. Yeah, we thought that was good, but actually, no, that was a bit a bit shit. So we're going <laughs> to throw it away now. <laughs> exactly. Well, I know that you've got to go in a minute, so I want to make sure that we we talk about the actual nonprofit. So, Handy Capable Fitness, you got the nonprofit, and then you got a book coming out. So, talk to me about those. Okay, so. Handicapable Fitness is a nonprofit organization, and our mission is to help those with disabilities get up, get active, and get moving, however it is that they deem possible. So uh, last year, we gave a grant to a young man who uh, wanted to go surfing for the first time, so we gave him a travel grant to, to go down to Florida so that he could experience that. There was another young man in Connecticut who has done cross-country in his wheelchair, and he's actually nationally ranked. He's in college now. I forget where he goes, um, but he's an absolute beast. He needed a new race wheelchair. So we stepped in and we were able to give him a new race wheelchair, which I thought was absolutely awesome. Um, and then there was a young man, a quadruple amputee out of Texas that I uh, taught himself how to skateboard, but he wanted to be a motivational or he wants to be a motivational speaker. So we hired him a public speaking coach to help him hone his skills and craft his story in a very compelling way. Um, so anything that's going to get these people up, get them active and get them moving and feel a sense of fulfillment and help them realize that, hey, yes, you have a disability, but your disability doesn't define you. And if you choose to look at it this way, it can actually be your superpower. Um, so, so that's what we do. We give medical equipment because there was a young woman who is an amputee. She was told because she uses her prosthetic 50% of the time. She uses a manual wheelchair, the other 50%, her insurance company told her. And unfortunately this happens a lot in the, in this community that, Hey, you can have, you can have a prosthetic or you can have a wheelchair, but you can't have both. So we stepped in and we helped, you know, get her, get her that wheelchair. Um, and then as far as the kids will come, go is coming along. It, it'll be out in December. It's called feeling left out. And it is for kids uh, from anywhere from kindergarten to fourth grade. And basically it's just a small story of, you know, me at recess and how I felt left out and how I connected with one of my classmates and we played games and then 
next thing you know, the the rest of the class heard us laughing and joking. And Jimmy finally felt like a cool kid. Um, so, and then there's going to be other books that kind of go throughout my life and different experiences. And the whole goal with that is to not only be, um, not, not only give that representation to this population of people, but also use it as a resource for educators, parents alike, because like I said, you know, when I, when I wrote this first book, I was talking to my mom about it. And she goes, you know, when you were a kid and you were this age, she goes, I would go to the store and I would look for books, you know, with people like you. And there was no, there was no character like you. So again, what I'm trying to do here is just be, just be a resource for both the child and the parent as well. Beautiful. Now, if people want to learn more about you, where is the social media um, account? And then where can they find you as far as a website? Okay, so I'm just going to give you the website because it's the probably the easiest thing to do. Um, and then it has all the social media links. They can find out how to download or, I mean, donate, excuse me, and all that stuff. So it's Handy Capable Fitness, H-A-N-D-I, Capable, C-A-P-A-B-L-E, Fitness, dot com i was going to give you the email address nice <laughs> <laughs> okay so handycapablefitness.com yes brilliant well james i know you've got to go now so i just want to say thank you so much for connecting with me originally um coming on here and telling your story i mean it's amazing what you're doing now and yet another incredible human takes what was a challenge in their life and turns it into a, a superpower so thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today Hey, thank you for thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Like I said, to open this thing up, I've listened to the show quite a bit, and I know that you have a lot of military personnel and and first responders, and the military is something that's very near and dear and close to my heart. Um, a lot of my friends are active or retired military, and I firmly believe that um, I get to live my dream every day because of the sacrifices that you guys make both as first responders and military personnel. So thank you from the bottom of my heart to, to you and to everybody who listens and supports the show and all the other previous guests and future guests. It's an honor to be here. 